the Transport Workers Union Local 513 podcast with Second Vice President Brian Parker is online and streaming. Take it away, Brian. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the TWU Local 513 podcast. Joining me today again is President Cozy. Thanks for joining me today, Greg. Thanks for having me, Brian. Okay, let's uh, dive in. I think it uh, is worth noting that we're recording this podcast on Thursday morning. Uh, we're recording it after the investor call that American Airlines has every morning prior to the state of the airline. And on that call, it's where they uh, take questions from the investors and as well from the media. So I listened to that call this morning, uh, but we are prior to the state of the airline address. So if we discuss something on the podcast and it turns out to be a little bit different, it's because we don't have the knowledge that the, maybe they would be presented on state of the airline. Uh, one thing that was of note or a few things of note, uh, Americans said they lost 2.8 billion in this quarter, this previous quarter, and they still have 15 billion in liquidity. So they've still got a lot of cash on hand, uh, but they're still burning through about $25, $30 million a day. Uh, another thing I'll point out that they made mention of numerous times was two things, DFW and Charlotte. Uh, many, many times they mentioned those two hubs, and it seems like that they're uh, an all-in strategy on trying to get those two hubs to where they want them. Uh, obviously, we work and represent at DFW, and we see what, what's happening here. And um, I'll let that be a lead into you. I mean, what's going on at DFW? I think the best word that I can use to describe what's going on at DFW is uh, uh, chaos. As most of the listeners know, we've uh, changed the way we do our business. We are essentially dynamically staffed at this point, uh, which means that our, our crew members are bouncing from gate to gate. Uh, we have full ABR uh, utilage. Uh, which means that our, you know, our drivers are going from gate to gate and using the uh, rover equipment. But uh, the the biggest change is the fact that that the operation is in full chaos. They've taken uh, the uh, senior crew chiefs out of the key positions of leadership out on the ramp, replaced them with uh, allocators or CSMs who have very little, if no, experience operationally. And we see what the results are. They're using technology instead of common sense. I think you see the results in, in the fact that a third of our flights for this month have resulted in, in delays. Okay, so we could talk all day about uh, what they've lost by removing our crew chiefs from the operation. And we've talked extensively about that. So I won't uh, go into great detail about that. But American has said that they're going to move to more of a... Uh, technology-based operation, that everything is, is, you know, we're going to have the handheld rovers. First of all, we're laborers. You know, in order to get our job done, we need both hands. So they've kind of tied one hand behind our back, you know, lugging us down with this tool that's supposed to, you know, cure all eels in the airline industry, uh, along with the program GS Real Time. But there's a big problem just with the technology itself, and I think you know where I'm going with this. Elaborate on what's, what the problem is with the technology. Well, I'll I'll, uh, I'll talk about that, and then I'll circle back uh, to to the fact that uh, they are tying us down to to a handheld device. There's connectivity issues all along the airport, especially on the high C gates, the low A gates. This technology that they're employing 
it's uh, dependent upon uh, being able to connect to the Internet. We all know, I mean, just by using your cell phones in certain areas around the airport, that they have some connectivity issues. And so when you are using or management is using a uh, multi-million dollar system that is dependent upon uh, good connectivity, and we all know that you don't have it, that in itself lends to a great deal of problems. But but more more back to, you know, part of your original question and statement, you know, they've asked us to use these uh, handheld devices, and it's really a hindrance. Uh, it's almost impossible to, you know, properly do your job when you're dependent upon something that you're, you know, you, you're holding in your hand as opposed to using both hands in, in order to work. But more specifically, they're now asking our members to download the apps on their own personal cell phones. And, uh, you know, it's really interesting that, you know, for as long as cell phones have been around, they've asked that we not use our personal devices out on the ramp. And now because they don't have enough Rover units or they think that it'll be a, a matter of convenience for our members, now they're suggesting that our members download the app on your personal cell device uh, in order to help the operation. And uh, what we've been telling our folks, I know I'm deviating a, a, a tad bit here, but what we're telling our members is quite simple. American doesn't pay your cell bill. Uh, you're under no obligation whatsoever to download an app in order to uh, facilitate this chaotic operation. And since I'm on the point, uh, a lot of our members are calling saying that allocators and CSMs, zone CSMs, etc., are calling our members uh, to give them new assignments. Calling them on their cell phones. Calling them on their personal cell phones. Uh, first, we say uh, you are under no obligation to give your cell phone number to any member of management. The only time that we expect a phone call from a member of management is if we have uh, signed up for overtime and they are calling soliciting overtime or if we are in, in a bidding process and one of our shop stewards calls to, you know, from a company phone to tell you that it's your turn to bid. But other than that, you're under no obligation to answer a phone call from American Airlines. We certainly don't suggest that our members uh, willingly give their phone numbers to uh, allocators or any other CSM. Now, you mentioned that the company, uh, it was a matter of convenience. Uh, I would say that it's more a matter of convenience for the company that our members would put it on their cell phone than it would be for the member themselves. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they, that means that they don't have to buy uh, the, the handheld rover units for everyone. So if everybody, you know, downloads it, then uh, it's less expenditure for, for management. Absolutely. Okay, I want to make uh, mention here of one thing that uh, – that I, when I talked about the company and, and their loss for the quarter and their liquidity, I think it's important to note that we're about, uh, that I learned on the call, we're about 19,000 less employees now than we were pre-COVID, you know, through the furloughs, the early outs, and the reductions. One thing that stood out to me is they said of, of the $1 billion cost savings that they got from that, $400 million came from uh, frontline workers, so basically labor and 600 million from management. So I know that they uh, reduced their number was 30% of management, but 30%, it's not a huge number when you look at the total number of management. 
So they've got $600 million savings from management and only $400 million from all the people that they've let go in labor and frontline workers. What does that tell you? Well, I mean, it's obvious. It's a, a gross inequity in the amount of money that they pay managers as opposed to frontline employees. But I think it's very disingenuous. I think, you know, you said that they emphasized Charlotte and DFW on the call this morning. As far as what we saw, there were three or four CSMs who were uh, who were let go. And the next week they were replaced by 41 allocators. So I, I think the fact that, you know, they're touting that they uh, reduced management by 30 percent. Maybe they did it someplace else, but we certainly didn't see it on the ramp at DFW. Correct. We didn't see it, you know, in facilities. We didn't see it in other stations. So I just think that is very disingenuous. And it also, to me, it seems as if that that lends itself to the notion that they were extremely top heavy over at headquarters, that if six hundred million dollars is associated with management and only four hundred million with frontline employees and you see the, the bigger and the most the greater impact with frontline employees, then that in itself tells me that there's a gross inequity in, uh, in, in the way they pay uh, employees. Yeah, and if you look at the reductions and you look at uh, the headcount that they've pulled out of the operation, I mean, they've got us down to numbers to where we can't sustain, especially when they've got the, you know, um, I guess circus would be a good word going on at DFW. They've got people moving everywhere and people can't keep up. You and I and some of the other officers were in a meeting the other day with management and we were trying to explain to them that there's far more than just the operation to be concerned with, with moving people around. And one of the greatest things is is safety. So we're in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, there's no vaccine, you know, and we don't feel like that the company is doing everything they should. Talk about the, the dangers of moving everybody around in the operation. Well, it's, it's, you know, it's completely frustrating, uh, first of all. We're in the middle of a pandemic. There's no vaccine in sight. And what we've done or what management has done is created a multitude of touch points that didn't exist two weeks ago when we, we weren't in this operational change. Uh, during the meeting, we expressed our extreme concern about the fact that prior to this change, our guys were on their home gate. They could clean their gates sufficiently because we don't believe that the airport is cleaning the gates uh, sufficiently. But our guys were taking ownership of their work area. And that's impossible now because we're going from gate to gate to gate. And not to mention the fact that once you get to that additional gate, uh, you're touching the equipment, steering wheels, hand uh, brakes, et cetera, et cetera. So the the touch points have increased tremendously. And uh, we don't believe that, you know, cleaning is, uh, the level of cleaning is sufficient for the fact that we're in the middle of a pandemic. I think what happened is that management got uh, a tad bit complacent and they believe that the the mask and facial protection mandate uh, was a sufficient tool to try to keep the spread of the virus down. And the reality is, uh, I mean, in the past two weeks, we've seen a a spike and not just a small spike, a tremendous spike. Our members are being infected with this virus. And, you know, obviously we don't know, you know, where you get it, 
but we certainly know that we can possibly spread it once we get to work. And uh, I, we just don't believe that, that uh, management's response has, is sufficient. They're just not doing enough to keep our members safe. And following on that point, and I'll segue into something else when I mention the contract. Uh, the contract provides we get a 30-minute uninterrupted lunch. So when a crew is pulled off their home gate and they're out in the operation, and then they come back to their home gate for lunch, which is where their lunch and, and everything is uh, stored, are they supposed to walk in now and take the time to clean the, the work area and then try to prepare their lunch with another crew possibly being in their gate to work the flight that's on their gate? I mean, how? It's just, you know, back to your point, this is nothing but chaos. Yeah, I mean, what we advocate is our members to do whatever they have to do in order to maintain their personal safety. So if that means that, you know, they have to spray down keyboards, doorknobs, chairs, whatever they have to spray down before they sit down, before they use that, whatever that, that piece of equipment is, uh, spraying down steering wheels, uh, on the, the veyers, the tractors, or whatever, then that's what they need to do. Because what I, I realized after conversations yesterday is that we have to take our own safety in our hands as best we can. Uh, we can't rely on management to, to provide a safe workplace for us, and that's unfortunate. It's very unfortunate for me to have to say that, but I'm dealing in realities. And the reality is if we want to maintain our safety, our personal safety, then we have to do whatever we have to do in order to do so. You mentioned relying on the company, and previously I mentioned segue into the contract. Explain to me how that we were in negotiations for four years, uh, sitting across the table from the company. We had uh, page turns with uh, leadership who was in negotiations. We went through the contract line by line as a leadership. Uh, you know, prior to ratification and after ratification. And here we are now. It seems like every time we turn around, the company is violating the agreement. Yeah, it's a, a huge sticking point, not just in uh, in DFW, not just in Fleet. Our, our brothers at 591 uh, with the Title I group, uh, they're experiencing the same sort of heartburn and, and headaches. I've talked to uh, my colleagues throughout the system, and it's we're all singing the same song. It's inconceivable to me that we would spend four and a half or five years across the table with senior leadership of American Airlines hammering out a deal, a solid deal, mind you. And, you know, we agree on ratification March the 26th. And it's seemingly March the 27th, those principles for American Airlines have forgotten everything that they sat down and negotiated. There's pushback literally on everything from the tow crew to uh, whether or not a crew chief takes his direction, you know, from managers, whether our, our agents, and I don't particularly care to use that word, but whether our clerks receive direction from CSMs or allocators, every article of the contract that involves scope that involves things that are crucial to our members, we do not agree on the uh, implementation of with the management. And it's, it's causing a huge headache. I mean, the beginning of it for us at DFW obviously was 
when they uh, took away those control crew chief positions. We have a grievance on file. Miami and Chicago have grievances. The association has taken up the fight. They have attorneys who are willing and ready uh, to assist us in, in our arbitration case. Uh, that is, I think, slated for December. But, I mean, just in the interim, every every other thing uh, we're having to debate and uh, and fight over, uh, you know, even with the vacations and just every little thing, we there's a point of contention with management at this point. And it's absurd to me to think that we, you know, we agreed on these things after, you know, four and a half, five years of negotiations. And, and, and now that we have to implement it, um, you know, there's a struggle and it, it just doesn't make sense. And what it, it, to me, what it lends itself to being is that we now work for a corporation that doesn't respect union, doesn't respect working people, doesn't respect seniority. And uh, they just want to control everything and uh, they have a total and willful disregard for the contract. And to me, it comes across as the divide and conquer mentality to where they're trying to create division amongst the work group. And speaking of division, there's something else, Greg, that I want to talk about. Uh, on top of everything that we're dealing with, with the pandemic, with the operational inequities and, and all the changes going on, uh, we're actually under attack, so to speak, from another angle. Talk about the AMFA raid the AMFA Association, because we can't really call them a union, trying to raid our members here on the property. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's despicable, actually. They are uh, well known for going after well-established union members. What they're saying, they're putting out a lot of misinformation. Every labor union uh, is just like a family. You have some people who are dissatisfied with their level of representation or whatever. And uh, as an organization, we try to do our best to serve all our members. But, you know, there are there are some members who, who may be dissatisfied. And so they, they prey on those folks, hoping to try to, you know, bolster their membership. But AMFA has been doing this for years on the property at American Airlines. And uh, they have not gained the traction necessary to, uh, you know, to get enough cards to go to a vote. They don't have relationships with American Airlines. They are basically doing what they can to try to raise money for their coffers. And it has nothing to do with offering a better level of representation or having, uh, you know, a better knowledge of a contract or et cetera, et cetera. I mean, we just finished ratifying a deal this year. You know, it, it, it doesn't even make logical sense for someone to to think that another outside organization could come in and represent their contractual interests uh, better than the TWU. It's despicable, though, uh, and it's very typical of what AMFA has done historically. You know, if you look at what happened at Northwest Airlines when it existed, how they, they did a disservice to the aircraft uh, mechanics there, and after, you know, getting a contract, 60% of their work was performed offshore. And of course, you know, I mean, it's just, there's example after example of them leading their members down the wrong path. So what I would suggest, and we've seen, uh, you know, of course, we've always seen them 
do a car drive with our Title II brothers in our local. But recently, in the past couple of weeks, we've seen them reach out to our lab drivers and our tow crew guys, uh, specifically the guys who are riding the brakes. And uh, some of our guys have mistakenly signed cards. You know, I would suggest to those folks, don't do it. You know, just don't do it because uh, they cannot. First of all, it's illegal what they're doing, approaching approaching you on property. Absolutely. Uh, during work, you know, work schedule. And uh, secondly, you know, what it does is it, it weakens us. You know, we're in the fight of our lives against uh, American Airlines. And anytime you have dissension like this, all it does is it weakens the whole. But uh, I'm, I'm, you know, making a plea to our members, uh, Title II and Title III, uh, when approached, if you can, get a name, because we'd like to know who these, these traders are who are approaching folks. And, uh, and then B, you know, don't sign those cards. For clarity, for those that may be uh, here in the lead-in and don't really understand, uh, I want to talk a little bit about what AMFA is. AMFA could be out organizing the unorganized. You know, there's members out there that they could be going after that are not already represented by a union. But let's just talk about some of the differences. So on the American side, the TW represented mechanics. There's about 14 mechanics per aircraft. If you look over at Southwest and the mechanics that are represented by AMFA, there's less than three mechanics per aircraft. So that's one glaring difference. Another is, I mean, I don't think they have the treasury. If you look at the money, I don't believe they'd have the money that they would need to service the members properly on day one, much less having no knowledge of American Airlines management and certainly no knowledge of the contract that we just ratified. And so if members did move over to AMFA, what they need to understand is they'll be walking away from the representation that they have. They'll be walking away from a solid foundation on representation, and they're not going to gain that with AMFA on day one, especially. And, uh, you know, so. Not on day one and not day, <laughs> on day 10,000. So. I don't disagree with that. I mean, they would really be given a lot, uh, you know, up on just basically open a prayer that they would do a better job but their track record says that they won't. And uh, certainly the way that they've went after other unions and, and to raid, uh, I mean, it's just despicable, especially to try to, you know, to take advantage of this operation at this time. It's, uh, it's really a slap in the face. And, I, and our members deserve better, and they need to tell them to get the hell off the property, that we, want, we don't want to sign your card. If you don't want to be a TWU member, then maybe you need to go somewhere else. Well, yeah, and... and what I would challenge our disgruntled members to do is to take that energy and dedicate it to the to the local, to their perspective local. If you're, you know, upset about an issue and you think that, you know, perhaps the local should be doing more, then donate your time or offer your services. But to seek an outside entity to come in and gain representation, I think is the wrong approach. Yeah, you know, Local 513, we represent fleet service, and we also represent our Title II brothers and sisters. Here's the funny thing about the AMFA raid right now. They've always said that they need a craft union that just only represents aircraft mechanics. They want the single craft and class, yet here they are going after fleet service, yeah. brake riders, and lab drivers. I don't think they uh, understand the definition of, of craft and class either, so... Yeah. So anyway, yeah, that's definitely a point of contention. 
Uh, they are trying to uh, file here mid-November to try to get to a vote. And uh, hopefully, just like numerous times in the past, the amphorate is uh, put to bed. Yeah, we hope so. All right, Greg. I know that you've got something you got to get to, uh, a meeting you've got to get to right after this. But before I let you go, is there anything else uh, that we need to talk about? So, yeah, I do want to bring up a few uh, a few items, you know, as we as I normally say during our membership meetings that I have some housekeeping issues that I like to to address. So a couple of those those things are I'd like to to put a reminder out to everyone that we will be uh, conducting our our monthly membership meetings next week on uh, Wednesday and Thursday. They will be again at the Union Hall instead of uh, at our temporary home during our normal uh, meeting times. We, as far as fleet is concerned, we'll be starting the vacation bid for 2021 on uh, October the 26th. You guys have probably seen the postings for the shift bid. The crew chiefs will start next Wednesday, the 28th, and uh, the fleet service uh, agents, which I don't like (laughs) that agents, clerks, will start bidding on Thursday following the crew chiefs and very important, very important. Uh, we have TWU, the uh, benefits committee, a station at the Yandry for our members to uh, assist in enrolling for benefits uh, for next year. We will, we have the times posted. We're there from five thirty in the morning till six thirty. Most days, and I think on Friday, we've had some extended hours. We'll also be in San Antonio and Austin on the 4th and the 5th to uh, service our members there. But uh, we want to make sure that everyone knows that we we do have people to assist our members in uh, in the enrollment process. One question uh, that uh, we've gotten several calls at the hall about is, uh, will we be uh, assisting with the bid? Yes, we will. We stepped away from the bid and, and a lot of of the meetings that uh, we had with, with senior leadership because we felt that the bid contained a lot of contractual violations, uh, the most important being, of course, the loss of the senior crew chiefs in those control positions to be replaced by allocators. It was a difficult decision to step away. It was a very difficult decision to to stop meeting with management. But what we realized was, and it's a, it's a, an old saying, that if you don't take a seat at the table, you soon become part of the menu. And uh, we saw that it was more beneficial for us to to go back into the bid room to assist our members as we go through the bidding process as it was to not be in there. A prime example of that was our two senior fleet service clerks were impacted by the fact that we weren't in that bid room. Had we been in there, things would have uh, been a little different for for the both of them. And so uh, we're, we're back in the bid room. We are back to meeting with management. We're back to dealing with those issues as they come, you know, come forward. But again, you know, as I stated before, Every conversation is a difficult one because we're, we continue to battle the interpretation of the contract. But we are back in those rooms. 
in all in, in all fairness prior to pulling out of the bid that we knew that uh that you know it would cause some disruption and you know and it wouldn't be a great thing for our members but we had to do that and to so to speak make a point and since then uh, i'm happy to say that we are back at the table and we are uh, having some movement with the company that we prior to pulling out did not have so for lack of a better word, I think the point was very well received. Yeah, I don't know if it was well received. I think the point was driven, though. There you go. Yeah, it was well. It was it was very much driven. Yeah. So uh, to piggyback on what you had mentioned, just a couple more things. I know that uh, the company is still pushing, as well as the you know as the the union is still pushing for the payroll support program to try to help get our members back on the property. Uh, the company states that it would, you know, it would help them moving forward that when things do rebound, they'd have people in place. So obviously we're an advocate for anything to get our members back to work as soon as possible. Um, supposedly, I think yesterday or today was the last day, but I'm hearing that they're still hoping that maybe that can come through. And uh, if it does, we'll let you know. One more thing I do want to make a, a point of, I know that we had talked about uh, errors and things that the company had made. One thing they did in error is when our members were furloughed or the members that uh, left the company in the VEOP and took the 12-month option, the company paid out their sick time inadvertently. They should not have done that. So it was brought to our attention. Uh, we got with labor relations, and they agreed that, yes, that that uh, sick time should not have been paid out. And so the members should be looking for something, uh, a document for them to sign and an agreement for them to pay back their sick time if, uh, if they want to restore that. Yes. Uh, believe it or not, the company made a, an error. Wow. And, and I can go on a diatribe about that for the, the next eight hours. We'll save another podcast yeah. just for that. Um, but yes, uh, those folks who are impacted should be looking for either emails or something from the in the mail addressing that issue so that they can uh, make arrangements to repay that money so that they can uh, restore their sick balance. Okay, Greg, anything else? I just want to, uh, as I often do, uh, I just want to reiterate the fact that we have to stay unified. We have to stay together. Put out a communication a couple of days ago where at the bottom I uh, used a quote from a senior uh, crew chief to paraphrase it was if there was ever a time that we needed to be united, if there were ever a time that we needed to be a union, it's now. You know, we thought, I don't know, maybe naively at the beginning of the year that our biggest challenge for 2020 was going to be finding balance and getting a contract. Who would have thought that we would be where we are now? We've got tone deaf senior leadership at American Airlines who have, in my opinion, done things in a fashion in which we are now all suffering and they use COVID as the coverall for everything. We have hundreds of our members who have been furloughed either from full-time crew chiefs to part-time or from full-time clerks to part-time. And unfortunately we have a couple of hundred who, who are on the street now. And, uh, it's it's a it's a painful painful uh, time for all of us, coupled with the fact that we're dealing with this historic pandemic. 
we have a we work for a management team that's not responsive to our health needs regarding that, coupled with the fact that now we have a whole nother way of doing business, dynamic staffing that is causing chaos and disruption, not just for the workforce, but for our passengers, the people who pay our salaries. And I think for me, as I sit back and I try to navigate through all of this, the worst part of it all is that I don't see an end to it. I don't see it getting any better. And so that crew chief's statement has never rang uh, truer that at this particular time, we have to be united. We have to remain strong and we have to remain a union. Very well said. And I'll close with this in my many years. And, and, you know, you've got pretty much the same seniority I do. We've seen a lot of turbulence in the airline industry. And the one thing that has always came through was us. And to your point, if we stick together, we will weather this storm. You know, we'll get through this turbulent flight and uh, we'll come out better on the other side if we stick together. So I want to thank everyone for listening today and be sure and tune in to the next TW Local 513 podcast. Everyone have a great day. For questions and comments about today's podcast, please email podcast at TWULocal513.org. For more information about TWU Local 513, please visit www.twulocal513.org. Music licensed by Pond5. Today's podcast was produced, engineered, and edited by Tommy Engel.